0: Well, hey everybody, fam, what's up? Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, if you're new here, normally I don't do this. Normally when I'm up here, I'm holding a guitar and, and leading worship, so this is really uncomfortable for me, but I'm glad to be among friends. Um, and so thank you for the applause, that's great. Uh, a clarifying thing on that, I did recently shoot 80 uh, or broke 80, rather, playing golf for the first time. And my wife was the one that threw the party for me because she's awesome. So that's pretty cool, right? Uh, I married up, I married up. Okay, so if you weren't here last week, uh, we had a friend of ours who, who speaks. She steps in from time to time. Her name is April Farmer. So you need to make sure to go back. We're gonna make sure that message is up online uh, for you. So you need to check, April spoke last week. And then ne- next week, uh, our, our senior pastor, Andy Stanley, is, is gonna be speaking again. So I feel like I'm in this this sandwich of like really high end communicators, okay? Like, and so I was thinking about this, I was like, I feel like I'm, I'm like, you know, like, like one of those really good Wagyu beef burgers that's like super high end, so tasty, and I'm like that piece of lettuce in the middle that has, no value to the burger at all. It's kind of wilted on the sides. It doesn't really add any flavor. Some people might actually take it off and just set it off to the side, and that's okay. But you're here. You're stuck with me today, and I think God's got something in store for us. All right. So we're going to dive in. Um, and at the beginning of this year, I, uh, I, for some reason, I'd read somebody doing this, and I thought, well, I'm going I'm to give this a try. It's the beginning of the year, and I chose a word uh, to kind of come back to throughout the year. And so I was trying to think of a way that. That I could uh, be reminded of God. You know, as, I, as I've i been following Jesus for 30 years or so, and um, I have quiet times, I read my Bible, and I, you know, I do my best to stay in a rhythm of that, but like you, I get busy and I get uh, distracted by things. And so I just kind of, at the beginning of the year, wrote down a word that I wanted to use as a way for me to kind of lean into and come back to to be reminded uh, of God in my life. And this was the word I chose. I chose this word right here. I chose Amazed. I wanted to be amazed or re-amazed at things that I have seen God do in my life. So I began to just kind of write down some things that I've seen God do, some ways that I was amazed. The first thing I wrote down, and I'm not kidding, the first thing I actually wrote down was, I was amazed that God allowed me to marry the person that I married. And this is her right here. This is my wife, Amy. Amy. Uh, I am clearly the Shrek to her princess Fiona in this picture, especially, but, um, I mean, I just told you she threw a party for me when I broke 80, which is awesome. So, uh, but this is us on uh, the steps at Sanford university where we met. This is the, the, the guy's dorm is over here. The girl's dorm is over here. And we met freshman year on these steps and we got to go back a few years ago for something and uh we took this picture but like this is where it all began and i'm amazed that i convinced this girl to say yes to a few dates with me uh i'm amazed that even after i you know didn't do well in the relationship in the beginning she uh said yes to go on more dates with me which was very kind of her and then i was amazed that she said yes to marrying me and to moving to east cobb and now 15 years later i'm am- i'm amazed at like the kind of people that we are, the way that God has used our marriage to strengthen us individually, but also us and our marriage is deeper than ever. And it's, it's truly amazing. I'm also amazed by the kids that we have. These are our kids right here. Uh, this is Emerson and this is Amelia. They're nine and five now. And this is cool. This is, we were, um, we got to go to to Paris last year. Amy's sister lives in Paris, France, where the Eiffel tower is. Um, so we, uh, We got to go up to the Eiffel Tower with our kids, which is like just a really cool experience. But I was amazed when I became a dad, right? Maybe you are a parent and you've experienced this, but like I remember, um, you know, Amy went into labor in the middle of the night. Like it tends to happen, I think. And, you know, so by the time Emerson, our first child, by the time Emerson was like, in our arms, it, you know, it'd been 30 hours, nobody's sleeping. And look, I see you judging me. Like, I'm not taking credit for doing anything. I know that Amy did all the work in the process. I'm just saying that I was amazed that all of a sudden I went from like not being responsible for the tiny human to all of a sudden I am now responsible for the tiny human. And I remember going up to like, you leave the delivery room and you go up to this other room and uh where you're gonna stay for the next couple days and these nurse i haven't slept in 30 hours again don't judge me i'm uh, amy did all the work okay i get it but i just remember these nurses like yelling uh, like orders and instructions to me about like what happens when your child starts choking and you can't like flip them over and you got to do all. The- i would never even held a baby okay i didn't know what i was doing and now all of a sudden i'm responsible for this and it was amazing because something snaps inside of you and it's like man i've okay, I just got to take care of this child. And it was amazing to me. I also, I I wrote this one down too. I was amazed uh, the first time, this was probably in like 2008 or nine. I got to take a group of high school students on a ski trip. And I remember going, um, we went, this is the top of peak nine at uh, Breckenridge, Colorado. And uh, I remember... Going up to the top of this, which I had no business doing, by the way, I'm not like good at anything athletic, um, and so we get to the top of this thing, and it's like crazy windy when you get up there, like it's you know the wind is blowing and it's it's wild. And then I don't know if you've ever been skiing before, but this was my first time, which is crazy that this was the first time I got to go skiing to see something like this. But I kind of stepped down into like just off of the edge, like of the rim up there, into kind of the bowl. And I looked out and I just kind of sat down in the snow. You know how the snow kind of dampens the sound and it it just felt, everything felt quieter and softer. And I'm just sitting there looking at this like expanse of the Rocky Mountains. I was amazed at what I saw. It was so beautiful and I was And I just felt like so close to God in that moment. I was amazed. And also I was praying some pretty big prayers because I was like, well, crap, I don't know how to get down from this. And it was pretty amazing to watch me try to actually like (laughs) <laughs> East my way down the mountain. It was not, not a good, not a good experience, but seeing it was a really cool experience and it stuck with me, uh, ever since. And maybe, I don't know if it, you know, for you, I, I've had like circumstances in my life that have been like really amazing. Uh, for one, I mean, my journey, mine and Amy's journey to East Cobb Church, um, is, is pretty amazing. I'll, I can tell you the whole story someday. It's pretty long, but it, it is kind of like a series of random events that led us to East Cobb, uh, led us away from East Cobb for a little while, and then we came back kind of randomly, um, and then wound up being able to be a part of this church, uh, which has kind of been something that has been instilled in us for a long time to get to be a part of a church plant like this in this specific community. And it's, you know, looking back on it, I, I remember writing it down and thinking, like, it's not a necessarily a series of random events when you go back and look at it. Um, it, It's very clearly like the hand of God has kind of been going throughout it, but it felt like a series of random events at the time. And it was amazing to me. And for many of you, you might have been there the day we opened the doors, January 2020. Uh, A lot of you have been a part of it for way longer than us. And you had this dream, East Cobb Gathering was going, and it was these small groups and doing all this stuff in the community and, uh, you know, it was, it was probably pretty amazing. It probably felt pretty amazing. At least it did for me when we opened the doors and, you know, the building was full and kids ministry was happening. It was like, oh my gosh, this dream has now become a reality. And it was equally as amazing when eight weeks later we closed the doors because of an unexpected pandemic and we were like, ah, what do we do? But it was amazing to me um, to watch the generosity of, of you, of, of people who are a part of our church, um, and the dream to continue to grow and the fire never went out. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we continued to grow somehow in the middle of a pandemic. When we were closed, we weren't meeting in person. We were doing a few events here and there. We started a student ministry that we now can't even keep up with because it's just growing so fast. It's truly remarkable how it all happened. And then we reopened the doors and uh, we've just seen so much growth and God has been doing so much in the life of our church. And truly all of it to me feels very amazing, but it, it would be easy for us. And this is my tendency sometimes to just kind of pass all of that away. All the things that I've seen God do in my life, all the moments where I felt like I can look back and go, yeah, God did this. God did this. God did this. I could pass it all away and just chalk it up to coincidence. Like it's just it's just mere coincidence that a lot of this stuff happens. It's mere coincidence that I wound up at East Cobb Church. I mean, right? Like, this, this is kind of what we're taught growing up. We're taught that if you work hard enough, that you will actually achieve the results that you want. You can achieve anything if you work hard enough. If you follow the steps, if you follow the path that you can lay out and you can kind of plan your life out, that it will uh, it will lead you to results that you can actually expect. And I believe that's that's pretty natural. For us to do that, it's a natural response for us, right? And there's nothing wrong with it. That that we we plan our lives and we think about I need to go get this degree, or I need to go d- do this thing, or I meet this person. We just kind of go through life thinking like it's just coincidence that I met the right person, or I I, I wound up in the right job, or I found the right um, career path, or whatever it is. And it's just coincidence. That's kind of the natural way. But I would love today for us to take just a moment. And consider the possibility that maybe there have been things in our lives, I know at least in my life, as I've gone through this exercise for the past seven months, that I look at my life and go, there were things in my life that weren't just natural, they were super natural. Things that have no real explanation. Things that are, it's like, yeah, I mean, you can kind of explain it, but also like, that's pretty amazing how it worked out and how it happened. And I know this word, supernatural. I mean, it's, it's mystical, it's magical, and uh, it can, you know, maybe it just feels uncomfortable to talk about. But like, even if we just think about like what I described a minute ago, the birth of my child, many of you are parents, you've experienced this before, but like, you just think about the fact how a child is born, right? It's pretty amazing, right? I mean how these cells come together and human life is formed. And yeah, science is uncovering all of how this works. And it's really cool that we get to experience that and we're learning from that. But we still don't fully, fully, fully understand how it all integrates and works together. And like, then you get into like the concept of like, well, then there's human life and then there's the soul and you philosophize over like, what's the difference there and how does it all fit together? And I think it's pretty amazing. And I think there's something that might actually be supernatural going on. Or think about when I was standing on top of Peak 9 at Breckenridge, Colorado, and I look out and I can see these mountains And of course, like geology and carbon dating and all these things, science can teach me and show me like, yeah, over millions and billions of years, like this is how the Rocky Mountains would have formed. But for me, I've had to take a step back and go, well, yeah, but what started all of that? Right? I mean, what was it? And I think it might have been something that was just a little bit supernatural. And whether you find yourself on the side of, of, of this where you say, yeah, God is at the center of all of creation and God created everything, and he's the one that created creation and got the ball rolling and everything's been evolving since then, or... Maybe you find yourself on the side of, yeah, it's just, it's just chance, right? Everything is just kind of happening by chance. The earth is tilted the right uh, degree away from the sun so that we don't incinerate. It's just chance. If that's you, that's totally fine. Either way, wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, like either way, it is really pretty amazing. And I have been amazed by it. I have been amazed by it. As I think back in my life of the things that I've seen, the things that I've like taken in. I've been amazed by it. So that's why I wrote this word down. And that's what I've been uncovering this year. And as I've been kind of like, um, going back through my life and thinking about things that have been amazing to me and the ways that God has worked, he led me to two stories in scripture that I would love to share with you today. And what's really cool about it is that God, and this is, this is kind of what he does in my life, at least sometimes, um, as I was looking for an answer in scripture. And what's funny is he actually showed me kind of the opposite side of that. Um, and, I'll, and when we get there, uh, you'll understand what I mean. But um, these two stories appear in Matthew chapter eight. And uh, when I say stories, I just want you to know that I actually mean that um, I believe they're true. I believe they're real. I believe Matthew, who was a follower, a disciple of Jesus, he witnessed these things and he wrote them down because he felt like we needed to know. And this first story that we're going to read is about a Roman centurion soldier. And a little context there, a Roman centurion soldier was a very wealthy, very affluent, very powerful person, and uh, his job was basically to, like, he had a lot of soldiers that worked for him, and his job was to make sure that peace was kept within the city, right? He was there to make sure peace was kept in the city, and this soldier has been around long enough to have seen some things and heard some things about what Jesus has been doing. And so we're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 8, verse 6. It starts right here. says, this is the centurion talking. He says, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly, And so I just, real quick, a servant in this context is uh, more than likely a, uh, a, probably kind of a younger child, maybe a a teenager, but someone that probably this Roman centurion has um, had acquired, maybe paid for, maybe bought to work in his house, but he's probably sort of adopted him as his own child. And so now he, he comes out to Jesus and he says, my servant lies at home paralyzed. He's suffering terribly. So he's super worried. He's concerned about this person. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Which is pretty awesome that Jesus immediately catches on is like, I see where you're going. Can I help? Can I come and help? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. We get a lot of really good insight, really good context into the posture in which this centurion soldier is approaching Jesus. Because what we know about Roman centurion soldiers is that, like I said, they're wealthy, they're powerful, um, they have basically access to everything. They have all the natural resources that you could imagine. And yet somehow he is approaching Jesus, and for some reason he's approaching Jesus with this super, uh kind of calm humility saying, Jesus, I don't know much about you, but I know what I've seen and I know what I've heard and I need you to come and heal, uh, my servant. And he kind of approaches with this humility and he says, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. And I think this centurion is kind of to the point where all of his natural resources, the things that he can see, the things that he can do on his own, he's exhausted all of those. I would imagine as a Roman, he's probably prayed to all of the Roman gods for help. I would imagine as a wealthy Roman, he's probably paid for all of the medicine that he could. And he had access to the most advanced medicine at the time because of his status. And I think he's probably tried all of these things. And yet he comes to Jesus because he's kind of tapped out those natural resources and he he sees something supernatural about Jesus. And I would love to give you this context too. I don't know that he even knows who Jesus is or why Jesus is on the earth. I know that the disciples who are following him and maybe the Jewish people, the Israelite people, they know that he is the Messiah. He's the one that God has sent to rescue them and to ultimately overtake Rome and to be the, the eternal king forever. But I don't I don't know that this Roman centurion has even, has even gotten that far yet. All he knows is that he has seen Jesus heal people. He's seen Jesus touch a blind person's eyes and they could see again. He's seen Jesus uh, pick someone up who could never walk and all of a sudden that person could walk again. And he's heard stories. He's heard stories. He heard stories about Jesus raising some girl from the dead. He's heard it. He's heard these Kind of rumors. And he's like, man, I need that because I've kind of reached the end of my natural resources and I have nothing left. And so I'm going to go and find him. And then Jesus says to him, or this is the centurion, sorry, the centurion says, just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go and he goes and that one come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this. And he doesn't, he's acknowledging that he doesn't even need Jesus to come touch his servant. He just needs Jesus to say the word and catch this. When Jesus heard this, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus was amazed at his faith. We read this story and we're like, wow, I'm amazed that Jesus could possibly do this. And oh, by the way, let's just go to the next slide real quick. I want to give you the, the end of the story. Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. So I read this story and I'm like, oh my gosh, Jesus has now healed someone just by saying the word. He doesn't even have to go and do anything. That's pretty amazing. But what Matthew wants us to see in this is that Jesus was actually amazed at the faith of the centurion. He was amazed that the centurion would risk everything to step out into public daylight. He risked his career. He risked his status. He risked it all because he was at the end of his rope. He didn't know what else to do. And his love for his servant was so great that he would be willing to step toward it. And his faith actually persuaded him to take action, to move towards Jesus. I think that's pretty remarkable. And I think it's cool that Matthew showed us that. But did you catch what Jesus says? Did you catch what Jesus says? Jesus said that he has not seen faith that great in all of Israel. Can you, I mean, just for a moment, imagine being one of the disciples in this moment? You have given your whole life to following Jesus. Jesus comes to you and is like, hey, I want you to drop your nets. I want you to leave your jobs. I want you to leave your families. I want you to come and follow me. I've got something big for you. And they're like, yes, let's do it. And they go around and they go do ministry with Jesus and they're learning from him and they're trying to understand what it means to, that he is the Messiah. He's the one that's come to rescue the world. And yet Jesus, in the public daylight, right here in front of everyone with the disciples standing over here, says, I haven't seen faith this great in all of Israel. I feel like if I was the disciple, I'd be like, hey, man, hold up a minute. Like, I have dedicated my life to following you. I think Jesus was kind of foreshadowing what was about to happen next. I think Jesus was, was kind of giving us a little bit of a heads up because just a few verses later, this is what happens. This is in Matthew 8. We're going to keep going just a few verses later. So this is probably like maybe a day, maybe a day and a half later then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. And suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping, right? How convenient is that? Jesus is now conveniently asleep while this storm is happening. And I just imagine that these disciples are like, okay, that's cool. That's nice. Um, hey, Jesus. We've seen you do some pretty amazing things at this point, and now we're all going to die because this storm is going to literally capsize the boat. And oh, by the way, if you haven't seen, Matthew can't swim, so he's definitely down for the count. There's no way he's going to make it out of this. Jesus is asleep, and here's what happens. This is what I love. The disciples went, and of course, they woke Jesus up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Like Jesus, if you don't do something right now, it's over. This whole thing, it's over. And how many times have you and I prayed prayers of urgency like that to God? Like, how many times have we said, hey, if you, God, don't act now, it's over? I got nothing left. I got nothing left. I remember one time, um, and I'm honestly, you know, I, I feel convicted even thinking about it, but um I remember one time I was um driving down the road and um my car broke down. And you know, that's frustrating, but like I don't even remember what all was happening at the time. I just remember Amy and I both like we had some like bills, some financial stuff we were dealing with and Like the last thing we needed was a car to break down. And you've you've probably experienced this, right? And I remember I was mad. Like I was mad and I remember the car breaks down I kind of pull off the side of the road and I was by myself and I just slammed my fist down on the center console and I said, God, why? Like why now? And I, I remember saying like, if you don't help me in this, I have nothing left to give, I can't, do, I can't solve this, I can't do it on my own. And I remember even saying, God, I need your help now. Now, I don't, I don't think God is frustrated when we do this, okay? I don't think he gets annoyed with us when we come to him with urgency. But in that moment, I felt this sense of conviction because I kind of remember thinking, who am I to question the timing of the one who created time to begin with, right? I mean, who am I to question the fact that my whole life is going to be ruined because my car broke down and I need an answer right now, only because I can't see a solution in front of me or immediately, I immediately go to the worst is going to happen, it's all over. But who am I to question God in this scenario? And that's exactly what these disciples did. They go and they say to Jesus, you have to save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus, no, it's okay, you can go to the next slide. Jesus replies with one of the most convicting statements. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? And I don't know um, if Jesus... Felt this way or not, I um, I've been awoken, uh, awakened, awakened, awakened. I've been asleep and rapidly uh, been awakened by my kids before, and it's a pretty like terrifying feeling, and it's really frustrating. Um, like my kids will run in like in the middle of the night, like violently shake me awake, dad, 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 and you know like my socks are bothering me, like that's what they have to tell you, and you're like. Yeah. Okay. But you, the panic that which you came in, I would assume that our house is being overtaken by zombies, but let's just take a step back here for a moment and like fix your socks. Like it's, you're going to be okay. I would imagine Jesus kind of woke up to this and was just a little bit like, guys, what? Like you're afraid of this storm and you're afraid, not just of the storm, but like that the whole thing is going to end this whole mission, this thing that we've, that we've been on. Have you not been paying attention? Have you not been seeing what we've been doing? I mean, I would imagine he looked at Peter because by the way, in between these two little stories, there's like four verses where Jesus specifically goes to Peter's mom's house who has a fever and he touches her and the fever is gone. I mean, I, I would imagine he looks at Peter and says, Hey, Peter, Do you not remember yesterday or maybe even earlier this morning when I went to your mom's house and healed her of this fever? Do you think that I can't handle this? Jesus is probably thinking, look, you guys are looking only in the natural. You're only looking at what you can see around you, but I am supernatural. I have something greater than what is just natural. Why are you so afraid? And then of course, Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. And here's the thing, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I got pretty convicted by this because I don't think it's bad that they were amazed at what Jesus could do. But I do think it is interesting that in this same, within a couple of days of each other, this same chapter of Matthew, that we see these two different kind of interactions with Jesus, both of which were amazing. For one, the disciples were amazed, and this Greek word is thalmazo. The disciples were amazed by the power of Jesus. But just a couple of days before, Jesus was amazed. And Matthew used the, the same exact word, Thalmazzo. Jesus was amazed by the faith of a stranger. And what I find interesting between these two things is it's these kind of two different responses. And for, for me, it was interesting because it felt a little bit of the opposite. When I read it, you would kind of think, if I told you this with no context, you would kind of think that it would be the disciples who knew Jesus the most, who knew him the best, who had already dedicated their whole life to following him. They knew him the deepest that they would be the ones that would have faith so amazing that it would actually amaze Jesus. And it would be the centurion soldier who didn't really care about Jesus, right? He didn't, he didn't care that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't care that Jesus was anything other than he saw that Jesus had some supernatural thing that he would be the one that was amazed by his power. But what's interesting is it's actually flipped. And here's why I think it's flipped. I think in our lives, and I think this is this is what happened with the disciples, I think for those of us that have been followers of Jesus for a while, that perhaps, maybe, possibly, we have become a little bit numb to the idea that God is still at work. We just sang a song a minute ago, Waymaker, that even when I don't see it, you're working. And even when I don't feel it, you're working. And I know for me, this is why I started this exercise seven months ago. Because I've been following Jesus for a long time and I've seen some ups and downs in my life and I've seen amazing things. We've talked about those and I have a whole list of them that I wrote down. But that doesn't mean that those are the only times that God is working, right? The supernatural power of God is at work all the time. And if you haven't been around for a while or, or maybe you don't make it to church every Sunday, that's okay. But like every week we hear stories about people whose first time is their first time putting their faith in Jesus. We, we see baptisms from people who have had really, really difficult lives and who put their faith in Jesus and they go public with their faith. And then their story starts to like advance and tell more and more and more people. And we're just hearing this over and over and over again. And for me, I just think that sometimes it's easy for me to get caught in just the natural, like what I see, Right. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pessimist by nature. Maybe, you know, um, I like to consider myself a realist, but you know, I think the people around me, my wife would probably say that I'm more of a pessimist. Like the glass is half empty and it's like, yeah, yeah, I mean it is because I look at facts and I look at data and I go, this is, this is the way it's going to be. This is the outcome that we're going to have. And then when something happens that I can't explain, I can't see a solution. I can't see a way out that all of a sudden The same thing that happened to the disciples, I become paralyzed by fear. I'm paralyzed by fear because all I can see is what's in front of me. But then on the flip side of that, you have this Roman centurion who had exhausted all of the natural resources at his disposal. And he kind of got to the point where he was like, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. And he was persuaded by faith. He was actually persuaded by faith to take a step, to take action, to do something. And it caused him to take a step towards Jesus, to take a step towards the supernatural power of Jesus. And he didn't need an explanation. He didn't need to understand it. He just knew that it could happen. And he put his faith in Jesus. The writer of Hebrews actually says it this way, that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. It's confidence and it's assurance. It is not evidence. Jesus is not saying that I'm going to give you like all of the answers, right? I'm gonna give you the entire playbook. I'm gonna give you the entire plan. I'm gonna show you how you're gonna get to the very end. That's not what God is promising us. But like Alexis said a minute ago, that he is the finisher of it. And what he's asking for us to do is to be persuaded by faith to have confidence To have assurance, even though we don't see the result, even though we don't see the answer, we don't understand it, we can't explain it, we have confidence, we have assurance, but we don't necessarily have to have evidence. We don't necessarily have to have the full playbook. And that is really hard for somebody like me. I need to know the steps. I need to know the way. It's really hard to just trust all the time. But that's what Jesus is asking us to do. the reason I say all this to you is because if you, if you have been following Jesus for any amount of time, I would love to encourage you to take a step away from being paralyzed by your fear and take a step toward being persuaded by faith. I would encourage you to look back on your life and maybe write down the ways and the times and the moments that you have been amazed at the things that God has done in your life. And again, remember He doesn't answer prayers on our timetable and maybe even the way that we want them to be answered, but he is always at work. Even when we don't see it or feel it, we know we can have confidence and assurance that he is actually working and we don't have to be paralyzed by fear anymore. We can actually be persuaded by faith to take a step, to take action, to do something, to move closer towards Jesus. And maybe that means for you that you need to start praying bigger prayers. This is something that Jamie actually challenges our staff a lot with, is that we actually need to pray prayers that are bigger than our resources. It's pretty scary, right? Set goals for yourself that are bigger than what you can actually accomplish on your own. It's pretty scary. I don't like to fail. I don't like to not achieve my goals But if I actually pray these prayers and set these goals and then I have to lean into the power of God, all of a sudden I start to see the power of God at work in my life. And that's where it starts to become remarkable. That's where I get more and more amazed at what God can do. I'm not paralyzed by my fear. I'm persuaded by my faith. If you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus or you're kind of on the fence about all of it, I would encourage you as well. Well, first of all, let me say this. I want to apologize on behalf of people who do follow Jesus. I'm one of these people. I don't talk about the supernatural power of God enough. I don't attribute things that are clearly the hand of God at work in my life. I don't I don't talk about it publicly enough. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm afraid you're going to think I'm weird. Uh, or maybe it's because I'm, I'm, I I like to just know like, yeah, yeah. Like, like it, it makes sense, right? Like I I followed the steps and I went through the things, but like God is the one that opened those doors. God is the one that made the way for me to do the things uh, that he is calling me to do. He's the one that's laying out the path for me and it's really hard to see it in the moment. But when I look back on my life, I go, yeah, that was clearly the supernatural hand and power of God at work in my life. And so I apologize at least for myself, for not being more open and more public. Because I believe that you, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you were hearing more about it, you would be like the Roman centurion. That's why he walked toward Jesus. He had seen it and he had heard about it. He knew that the power of God was doing something in that community and he walked toward it. His faith persuaded him to take a step. And that's what I want to encourage you to do is just try taking a step toward the idea that there is a supernatural work um, uh, beyond what we can see with our natural eyes, beyond what we can see and and, and even wrap our brains around. And I would encourage you um, in your own time and at home to maybe just write down something that you would love to see happen. Like something that you're dealing with, something that you're struggling with, something that you would like help with in some way that you're like, man, I've tried everything. I don't know what to do. I need a next step. And I don't know what that next step is that you would go home and you would write it down and that you would maybe, maybe just pray, God, can you help me with this? Can you show me the path forward? And when you reach the path forward, that you would remember and you would go back and you would look at the thing that you wrote down. And it could be days, weeks, months, years later, but that you would be reminded that one day you wrote this thing down and that you asked God for help. Because hindsight is twenty twenty, and it's often hard for us to see the supernatural power of God at work in our lives when it's happening in the moment. But when we go back and look at it throughout our lives, it can happen. It's really, really, really powerful. So I would encourage you, all of us, to just start praying a little bit bigger prayers. And instead of being paralyzed by our fear and the fear of the things that we see around us that we can't control because we can't control outcomes, that we would instead be persuaded by faith so that we are people that, yeah, we're amazed at what God is doing, but our faith is so strong that we are actually amazing God with how much faith we have in what he can do and we're not worried about knowing what the outcome is because we just trust that it is actually in his hands. We have confidence, we have assurance even though we don't see the full answer, the full result. And for those of you that call East Cobb Church your home, I can't say this enough. These are the days. These are the moments that we have to lean into being persuaded by faith to keep going. It is so remarkable to me how every week people show up here, not just to hear, but like hundreds of people back there to continue to serve and to create this space every week, to create this church every week, to go to Daytona and sleep on air mattresses. That Daytona was our high school camp that happened a couple weeks ago, to sleep on air mattresses. It's amazing to me. And these are the moments, and I know that it is frustrating when we don't know how long it's going to take to get you know permission to build on our, our land that we own and how long it's going to take to be in a building and like we're all like god god if you could just do it now like everything would be better and he's like are you kidding me like it doesn't it doesn't matter yes it would be amazing to have a home yes it would be amazing to have a building but like we we survived a pandemic right like do you remember that we survived a pandemic having been only open for 8 weeks like god has his hand all over this church, and I fully believe that its trajectory is going nowhere but up, and we are just going to continue on our mission of loving where we live we 're going to continue showing people the way of jesus we 're going to continue talking about the supernatural things that Jesus is doing in our lives, the healings that we have seen, the restored marriages that we have seen, the broken addictions that we have seen, the salvations that that we have seen, we're going to continue talking about them and telling those stories because I want people to know about Jesus. These are the days that we have to lean into the most right now, because when we look back on it, we're going to go, yeah, 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 this, these were the moments. These were the times that I saw the hand of God at work in our church and in our lives, and we were amazed at it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for what you've done in my life. And I mean, I'm sure people in here could say the same. We've just seen so much. We've seen you do so much. And for me personally, I just, I pray that you would continually remind me that even when I don't see it, when I don't feel it, I know that you are at work and that you would remind me that I don't need the full plan, the timetable, uh, the step-by-step instructions, that I can have confidence, that I can have assurance in knowing that you are in control. And all I want is to be with you in it. Wherever you're leading, wherever you're taking me, I wanna be with you in it. And I pray for my own soul, for my own spirit, that I would be willing to look outside of the natural for long enough to see something supernatural beyond it. That I would be able to, for a moment, think that it doesn't just require my own resources and my ability but it just requires my availability to you to say, yes, what would you have for me? And I will take that step and I will follow you where you lead. We pray this because we want you to know that we love you and we believe that your way is better than our way. And so we say it with open arms, open hands, and we, with our minds and hearts open to what you would lead us to. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We just pray that you continue to lead us every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen.